We've been on a seven-week journey, a journey from Easter to Pentecost, and we are getting closer now to Pentecost, that celebration in the church of the Holy Spirit coming and leading the church. And so in this journey, we've decided that we're going to look at some of the lesser known characters in the New Testament, uh, names that may be slightly familiar to us or others who quite frankly, we, we never noticed. We just didn't see them. And yet, we're looking at these lesser-known participants in the New Testament for what they can teach us about ourselves. And sometimes we see the, the, the well-known names as just being so faithful and so beyond what we really feel like we're capable of. It might help to look at some others who are like ourselves and yet uh, really made an impact for the kingdom. And so we've been making that journey. We've journeyed with um, uh, the first week. We, we looked at Thomas and his dealing with doubt and what it is to have faith. We moved from there to Cleopas and another person who were traveling on the road and discovered the, the beauty of God's word, the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And from there, we experienced time with Barnabas. We journeyed along with him and saw him and the encouragement that he gives and really the push and shove that he gives to others to, to strengthen them in the faith. And then last week, we started to move into some even lesser known characters and we dealt with a name that we couldn't even really pronounce, Epaphras, and, and, and looked at someone who, who really shared the good news of God, that God had given such a gift, and we called him kind of a cross-pollinator. We played on the language there, that he shared the cross of Jesus Christ from community to community, and couldn't we do the same? This week, we're going to deal with another lesser-known individual, and we will encounter this person in the midst of a greater story that we've heard many a time. If you're grown up in the church, you've heard this passage, and it, it concerns when Peter, the apostle Peter, is arrested and placed in jail, um, and so, and then when he's freed, and, and that's how we encounter our individual today. Um, just a little backstory of that greater story. I want to remind you that what's happening in the church at this time. The church is undergoing an enormous persecution. Saul, who later becomes Paul, the apostle, Saul is at the head of this persecution for a time. And when this persecution happens, the early Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, they went running. They fleed, some of them hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, leaving only a smaller contingent that still believed in the Christ in Jerusalem. Among those many of the apostles. Now, the other thing that's happening to the church at this time and also to that region is there is a tremendous famine such that even the northern church in Antioch starts to send relief back to the area. And then the third event that is bringing the faithful to their knees is that the ruler of the area, Herod Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas, I should say, a son of King Herod, a vicious man, has discovered that he can curry favor with the Jews by arresting these Christian leaders. 
And so he has arrested and put to the sword James, the brother of John. You remember John and James? They were right there, the sons of thunder with Jesus. Herod Antipas has put James to death. And when he saw that that pleased his fellow Jews, he went and arrested Peter and held him over Passover with plans for his demise as well. This is where we pick up our reading today and where we will eventually encounter our person for today. Let's pray. Almighty God, may you open your word to us. May you take the familiar and make it even stronger in our memory and in our hearts. May your spirit guide us through this morning, not only that we might worship you, but that we might find ourselves challenged to grow closer to you. Help us, O Lord, to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're reading from Acts chapter 12, beginning at the 11th verse. We're going to encounter Peter when the angel has released him from jail, and he's walked out from all these guards that had him, and no one seems to touch him. It's a very interesting story. And he finds himself left out in the street outside the fortress in the middle of the night. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. We could read that passage over 20 times. And probably 20 times we would read past the person we're going to be talking about today. And it's no surprise, it makes all the sense in the world that we would do that because the central focus of the story is what God has done in delivering Peter out of the hands of Herod. I mean, Peter was not only locked up, he was under four different sets of guards, and in his particular cell, there were two guards with him. He was double chained up, and there were two guards at the door. And yet the angel slips in and releases him from all of that. It's an absolutely stunning story. It's amazing what God did. 
And it gave all sorts of inspiration to the early believers. And it even gives us hope today that God can intervene in our most difficult moments, that nothing is impossible for God. So it makes sense if we read past or read over. Like last week, we often read over a name like Epaphras because we can't even pronounce it, and we're not familiar with that name. It doesn't really register for us. In the same way, in this story, we tend to read over some of the additional items that Luke offers us, Luke the writer of Acts, some of the additional items that he gives us to kind of flesh out the story, information that he gives for even the early readers of this that can go and touch and talk to the people that were part of what happened, that which makes this a reality as opposed to some fictional thing made up. But for us today who know no different, we easily read over and read past. And the individual we're going to talk about this morning is the Mary we encounter in this story. Now, when we hear Mary, we are easy that we think of some other Marys, such as Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, if I were to ask you, tell me about a Mary in the Bible, you might first pick her. Or if I said, well, but you can't use Mary, the mother of Jesus, the next Mary you might offer up is maybe Mary Magdalene, who traveled with Jesus and the disciples and has quite a story in her background. But if we were to put those two aside, the next Mary that might come to mind is Mary of Martha and Mary, the two sisters, one who's busy working in the kitchen, and the other Mary who's sitting at Jesus' feet. Indeed, if you were to take a Bible dictionary and look up Mary and what Mary did in the Bible, you'd come across six different Marys, which is all to say is Mary was kind of a common name. And so it's easy for us to read past this Mary. But Luke gives us enough detail that tells us that she's more than someone to just read past. There's something to this Mary that if we look a little deeper, we can find that she has something to offer us in this greater story of deliverance that God has given Peter. In fact, she has something to give us in our own faith journey. I will simply summarize this. If you forget everything else, if you're worried about whether I'll preach too long or whether the roast will burn in the oven, I'll simply offer you this. Mary is all in. That is to say, she puts everything she has and everything she is into her faith. She's deeply invested. And that's the call upon each of us when Jesus says, will you come and follow me? Is that we leave behind the fishing nets. That we leave behind everything and truly follow him. And Mary has done that. Now, why do I say that? How do I get to that place that she's all in? Well, let's return to our story. Let's return to where we find Peter as this part of the passage picks up. Peter suddenly finds himself being ushered out by the angel and being ushered down a street. He suddenly finds the angel gone, and there he is in the middle of the night. And he realizes this was not a dream. 
This was not a vision, which he suspected it was because it seemed kind of ludicrous that the chains would come off and that he could walk right out past the guards and that no one said, boo, this must be a vision, this must be a dream. But when he suddenly finds himself outside and comes to himself, he realizes where he is and where is the first place he goes? We're told he goes to Mary's house. The first place he goes is to Mary's house. Think about it. When you're in trouble, when times are difficult, who do you go to? When things are so difficult that you realize there's going to be a lot of questions as you lay out the story and it's going to expose parts of yourself you're not really ready to expose and it's going to be uncomfortable. Who do you go to? Who do you trust with all of that? When you're in difficulty and you know by asking someone else that that's going to put them out, that they're going to have to make some sacrifices, that they might have to make some changes, that your asking for help from them is going to change their life as well. Who do you go to? Reverse that. Because Peter goes to Mary. Peter goes to Mary's house. And if we reverse that, the question is, are we someone who when someone else is in trouble, when they're struggling, do they come to us? Will people trust us with their deepest and darkest and most greatest struggles? Do they come to us? Are they willing to come and know that we can offer help and advice without an overwhelming weight of judgment? Do people come to us when they know that they're going to be putting us out and it's going to cost something and we're going to be asked something more of that we will voluntarily, readily give and help and support? Do they come to us? Mary is all in. She's following in the footsteps of our Savior. She's a servant. She's emptying herself for the sake of the kingdom. Oh, you might think I'm making more of it than what little few words are in here, but I don't think so. Because Peter goes there first. Remember, he's just been arrested. And not just any old arrest. This is a picking off of the top leadership. Any place he goes is going to put people in great jeopardy. And he goes to Mary's house. There's more. Mary's house. We'll get to her house and something about that in a little bit. But there's two additional pieces that Luke gives us that we might not immediately pick up on, but those reading this closer to the time would have immediately grasped. The first we can kind of see right away but the full ramifications become more apparent as we dig into it. 
Peter probably goes there among, for a couple reasons. The first being that he probably knows this is where the other believers will gather. Indeed, this is where they are gathered. This is the whole reason probably that Luke shares with us this because while Peter is in jail, why is it that God delivers with an angel at this time? Well, there is a whole host of believers in Mary's house praying. Praying to God. Appealing to God. They've watched their fellow leader in James be slaughtered by the sword, and now Peter's arrested, and they know what's coming. And so they are on their knees, and they are lifting up their hands, and they are praying. They are just appealing to God, please, no. They are praying into the night. That's not a quick prayer such as we do before our meal or at the conclusion of a meal or some other activity. No, they are there for the express purpose of gathered together as a people and just praying and praying, and praying. They're deeply invested in Peter's release. But notice they even doubt it themselves, such that when he's at the gate, they, they tell the servant girl, ah, oh, you're just hearing things. <laughs> it's his ghost, because they can't imagine, even as they pray for it, they can't imagine that God will truly deliver. The forces are too strong. They are praying. On this Mother's Day, how many mothers, how many grandmothers, how many aunts, how many surrogate mothers and grandmothers and aunts have lifted holy hands in prayer to God, please change the course of these events. You know, I did a little research on Mother's Day just because I knew I'd be here, and I was interested to find out that there were two people that were probably instrumental in it coming about. Not that they necessarily intended the day as it is now, but two different people, slightly different tacks. They weren't necessarily related to one another, but two different ventures in the mid to late 1800s. One was so concerned by the, uh, well, quite frankly, the warring madness of men and thought if she could get a bunch of mothers together that maybe we could sway things and change things. She's the one who gave us the battle hymn of the Republic. She also was an advocate suffrage movement person. And she just got women together and mothers together and said, we can change this. We can, we can change this trajectory. The other was in Virginia, which became part of West Virginia, and she was deeply involved as a pacifist, and she got women together, mothers in particular, to get together and care for both sides, Union and Confederate. And she took a lot of heat for that, but she eventually won people over. It was her daughter, actually, who appealed to President Wilson, and in 1914, Mother's Day came into being. Both of them appealing to a greater peace in the midst of this madness. And what do we see Mary and those gathered doing? They're saying, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. You came to deliver us from all this. Please, we pray for Peter. We pray, oh Lord, please. Mary is all in. She's on her knees. 
How much are we all in before our Lord? Trusting that prayer has power. Now, we don't always get what we want and what we pray for, but trusting that God can do all things. The second thing that Peter knew in going to this house, not only that they'd be gathered there, but he also knew the address. He knew where he was, and he knew how it was in relationship to this home. You see, Peter was most likely locked up in what's known as the Antonio Fortress, which was a fortress that Rome built that was attached right to the side of the Jewish temple. This massive temple system that Herod built, enormous in size, trying to rival much of the the great things in Rome. Rome placed a fortress on the side. And in this area is where all the the priestly, the Levitical divisions were, the well-to-do. And so when Peter finally found himself outside and down the street, he didn't have to travel far to someone he knew was faithful to Jesus Christ. We find that Mary's home is rather extensive. The hints are there by how quickly Peter gets to that place and he goes there first, but also by the whole system of coming to a gate and a servant girl answering. This is more than a small little home. This is a larger place. This is a place where many could gather, has rooms upon rooms, courtyards, etc. And it's Mary's. She's likely a widow because it's being referenced as her house as opposed to some male's house, which would have been typical of the time. Which means that Mary probably walked in some pretty high circles. We know that she was related to Barnabas, and Barnabas had wealth, as we talked a couple weeks ago about. We know that she probably was in the Levitical system, which means in housing a whole bunch of people praying for Peter, she was putting her home and everything in it and everyone in significant jeopardy amongst the very people who are looking to squash the movement. She has them all in. They're all in her place. How much are we willing to put forward everything we have and everything we are? We read about missionaries who do this, who leave behind everything here and go overseas, and we hear about the struggles and strains they have, but they tell us about how they're more filled and fulfilled than they've ever been. Mary is all in. She's willing to risk it all. How much are we willing to risk? I once asked a, a congregation that when we were preaching on the, the passage of the, the paralytic man that they couldn't get to Jesus and so they eventually went up on the roof and made a hole in the roof and lowered that individual down with the belief that Jesus could change his life, make him better. And I once asked the church, would we be willing to cut a hole in the roof and drop someone down if that's what it took? Would we disrupt our beautiful sanctuary if that's what it took? Mary is all in, and that includes all that she has. But that's not all that's all in about Mary. 
We come to the final point, which is rather fitting on Mother's Day. You may have noticed that she was the household of Mary, who was the mother of John, who is also known as Mark. Well, we encountered this John, who's also known as Mark before. We encountered him with Barnabas. He's a cousin of Barnabas. And he's that one that Paul and Barnabas take with them on their first missionary journey. He's the one who abandons them for some reason. And later, Paul and Barnabas have an argument about this John Mark. And we read later in the end of Colossians, the letter to Colossians, that 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 rift is healed up and that John Mark is to be accepted and, and part of things. And as I shared with you two weeks ago, tradition holds that this John, who was also known as Mark, is the writer of the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. The gospel that most, if not all, scholars agree that both Matthew and Luke borrow heavily from. That John Mark comes from the household of Mary. And where you and I will readily admit, sometimes we have kids that follow right in our footsteps and other times we don't. That sometimes you can look at a child and say, oh, that child comes from that house. And sometimes you can look at the child and say, wait a minute, I don't see how that fits. That child's not behaving like their parents. But we see in Mary someone who is all in, is invested every way, which means that she's got a son who's in that home, who's seen how deeply invested she is in our Lord Jesus Christ, and it can't help but rub off on him. She is all in. And in the early churches, they heard their story as Luke's letter, uh, writing of the book of Acts began to be written out. People could see and, and identify, oh, there's, there's Mary. It's a passing reference, something we all read right over. But I share with you, I share with this, you this reality to recognize as someone who doesn't really get lifted up, we don't make Sunday school lessons about, which you probably never hear a sermon, except for maybe today. Someone as simple as one of us, being all in, had an incredible impact on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Which raises the question for each of us, what more must we do? What next step is the Spirit pushing us, laying on our heart? What next increment must we make to be that much more all in? Will you pray with me? Almighty God, may your words settle on our hearts. May we be reminded again of the grace we now live in. The tremendous love you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins that we have been given, that he has died in our place, taking on all that we were to take on. And thereby has made us free from judgment, but now living fully in the grace that you have given.
Help us, O Lord. Help us to respond to you and to others with the same love. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.